Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Oliver Hartwig and we have a special guest today in our podcast studio. It's Lynn McMoran from the Financial Services Federation. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Oliver. And with me also we have our chief economist Eric Crampton and our senior researcher Matt Burgess. Morning, guys. Good morning. We actually just had a coffee meeting and we thought we'll just shift this straight from our meeting room into our podcast studio because we would like you all to listen to what we just found out from Lynn. Because Lynn contacted us about the government's fee-bait scheme. We already had a podcast um, a couple of days ago explaining why we don't think it makes too much sense. But we didn't quite appreciate how badly designed the policy is. And that's why we thought it would be good to share that story um, with you, our listeners. And I think Lynn can tell us more. So perhaps from your perspective, I mean, we don't want to talk about whether this cuts emission or we've, we've covered that, but just the practicality of it. We've got a scheme that's announced, was announced on Sunday. It's coming into force, I think, on the 1st of July. It is. So you are representing an organization that deals a lot with financing vehicles in this country. Um, actually, how many can, how many of our cars in the fleet are financed by one of your members? The majority. The majority, okay. So you would kind of assume that you would have been consulted prior to the announcement. You would assume that, but we have not been. You have not been. Okay, so what do you now have to do in the next couple of weeks? Work out how this is actually going to work. So we've got, there's two issues. We have, we have the fleet leasing providers. So the government, large corporates, a lot of the people who are the ones that are likely to want to bring in electric vehicles to put into their fleet, all those vehicles are actually brought into the country and leased by our fleet leasing provider members. And what is the complication then with this new fee-bait scheme? So the registered owner of the vehicle is usually the, the company or the person who is actually driving the vehicle. So the legal owner might be the leasing company, but it is registered. Its first registration is in the name of the person who has leased the vehicle. So the company buying the vehicle would not qualify for the rebate? The, company, the leasing company that owns the vehicle legally wouldn't qualify for the rebate. So they would pay their 60000 for the Nissan Leaf, as an example, mm -hmm. uh, but the 8000 refund would go to the person who's driving the vehicle. Oh, that's very nice for the person driving the vehicle. It's very nice for them. Uh, but it is a problem for the leasing company because the, the, their collateral is no longer worth what they've paid for it. Yeah, you'd think in the fullness of time this sorts itself out in contracting, but it's a bit of a contracting mess to sort out in two weeks, right? Precisely. So I would expect that people are willing to pay more to lease a vehicle that comes with a free $8,000 check than for one that doesn't come with a free $8,000 check that bids up the price of the lease of these vehicles and compensates the company that brought them in for not getting the $8,000 subsidy. What happens if I lease one of these vehicles from one of your members and I cash in the $8,000 from the government, and then I bring the car back and say, well, actually, I didn't really want this car. Um, I wanted the $8,000 check, here's my keys, and I'm walking away. What happens to me in, if I do that? The, the problem for the leasing company is what is that vehicle worth? Um, it's no longer worth what they paid for it. Um, it's it's depreciated in their, from their point of view by 8000 the minute it was, it was registered. Mm -hmm. So when it's brought back... Assuming it's brought back sort of fairly early on in the, the leasing period, it's probably not worth to them what they've actually paid for it. They could potentially on-lease it, um, but they are they potentially have that, that that the potential is there for them yeah. to have, have lost money on the vehicle because it's no longer worth what it was. What it's, it's not just depreciation, right? I mean, in the end, uh, you've got a $60,000 car 
when it gets in the hands of the consumer, they get out thousands. So the resale value, nobody's paying more than $52,000 for that car out on the market, right? So the, the subsidy that ends up in the pockets of the, the first purchaser actually must depress the resale value of the car for everybody. It's not just depreciation, right? Yes, it will. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's exactly right. Yeah. And that's a concern that our, our, our finance companies, who actually finance 100% of the vehicle cost to consumers, that's the concern that they have because they they are they have a sixty thousand dollar vehicle with a sixty thousand dollar loan against it, but the consumer gets the eight thousand. So it's now that vehicle is now only worth fifty two thousand. Yeah. So on a first cut, I'd expect then that the leasing company would have to change the terms of the contract so that after a reasonable amount of time has gone by and I've got my $8,000 check, you're requiring me to give you $8,000 toward the loan so that we don't wind up in that uncomfortable situation where I'm just handing in the keys. But then I start imagining other problems, right? Because the scheme as the government's put it up is supposed to be fee-bate, right? That it's going to be paying itself off when bad people who buy bad cars are taxed to provide subsidies to good people who buy good cars. And if there aren't enough bad people buying bad cars, then there won't be enough money to pay the subsidies to people by the good people who buy good cars. So then they stop paying the subsidy. So if you require $8,000 from me, like three weeks after I've leased the car and then the government says, well, actually uh, there aren't as many bad people buying bad cars as we thought. So you're not going to get your $8,000 check. Then we're both kind of, we're in a bad spot, right? Because I don't have $8,000 to pay you, but we'd set the contract that I had to pay you because you knew that otherwise I might just turn up with the keys. What do we do? That's a problem we hadn't even thought of yet. Uh, <laughs> we've had a couple of days to think about this. Yeah, but the bad people are not paying because they are only paying from next year. So in the meantime, the government somehow has to finance the scheme and nobody really knows where the money's coming from uh, either. And that, that was driving me nuts, right? So on Sunday, Oliver sent through this message saying, look at this new scheme that the government's just announced. And I was in the middle of writing a column about something else that I was angry about. And then all of a sudden I had to be angry about this too, because it was a mess. Sorry and, about that. Well, that's fine. I, I've got lots of anger, but their capacity for it. But I was looking around to try and find the legislation and the regulations that are authorizing it, right? And trying to get the detail beyond the press release because press releases never tell you how the thing's going to work. And I just couldn't find anything. So I emailed Ministry of Transport saying, okay, where do I find the ledge and the regulation supporting this so that I can tell what the hell's going on? Because all I've got is a press release. And Transport emails back saying, well, actually, this is NAR baby. It's NZTA that's going to be running this, so ask them. So I forward the email to NZTA and say, okay, well, where's the legislation and the regulation and the regulatory impact statement, if there is one, or are you just relying on the RIS from the 2019 version of the scheme? What's going on? And they said, well, actually, the legislation is not being written yet. We're expecting legislation for January. The regs aren't set yet, but it's actually not a problem that we're going to start spending money as a subsidy out of this. And like everything that I'd understood about how Parliament works is that you can't have spending with it without an appropriation. And if there's an appropriation for something else and you're spending it on this, then I thought that was a misappropriation and that you weren't supposed to do that. And now I'm wondering where the hell the money's coming from because one of the things that worried me when they set the hypothecation of the emissions trading scheme revenues is that it could turn into a slush fund for dumb stuff. So stepping back for a second, we've liked the idea of taking all the money that the government gets when it sells ETS credits putting it into one pot, splitting the pot five million ways, give everybody a check out of it. And that would make it a lot easier for people to deal with higher emissions prices. When they set it in the 2021 budget, they hypothecated it, but they didn't say what it was going to be for, except that it was going to be for kind of climatey stuff. 
And I was hoping that it's going to turn into a carbon dividend, but now I'm kind of scared that they're pulling from this pot to fund the EV subsidies. I just, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm sending, I've got more emails back to NZTA asking, where is the money actually coming from? They haven't replied yet. I'll but be keen to know. they should be appropriating it from Well, it. yes, but at least if it were out, okay. If it were out of that, then every warning the treasury provided against hypothecation will have been proved correct that they just turn it into stupid slush funds and I'll look like an idiot for having told treasury, well, that could make sense in this case if they do it right. But but, but leaving these trivial fiscal problems behind, <laughs> uh, let's just talk about um, your, the problems of your members. Yes. Mm. So they have to change the contracts now. Basically, every leasing contract would have to be changed to reflect the new premium. How are they going to do that in a couple of weeks? Oh, it's impossible, Oliver, because you've got to get professional advice from legal advisors and all of that sort of thing before you can <laughs> change your contract. You've got to make sure that they're written in plain English. You know, you don't just change a contract overnight. I mean, in, in some way, I can understand why the government wouldn't want to leave much time between the announcement and the start of the scheme, because basically the market for EVs is dead for the next couple of weeks, because who would buy an EV now knowing that in a couple of weeks' time you get $8,000 free? So you, you can't actually have too much time between the announcement and the commencement of, of the scheme. That said, you would expect to have done that kind of homework with interested parties like yourself. Precisely. You would think that they would have done the, the, the logistical work in behind it before they made the announcement. So you were totally blindsided by it. On well, we had absolutely no, no notice of it whatsoever, any, any more than anyone else did. So Lynn, if it, if it does take more than two weeks to rewrite contracts, which is entirely plausible that it will, uh, how are companies going to respond um, in the interim while they're working out how to do business? We're actually still trying to work that out, Matt. That's that's. Um, we are still trying to get our heads around what all the potential fish hooks are for the the, mm. the people who ultimately finance most of the the EVs that are going to come into the country. And yeah, you know, I don't think we've even actually uncovered all the all the potential problems that there are with this. Is it even clear for you who you should talk to? government? Uh, no, not particularly, no. I mean, presumably there's... Because nobody's spoken to us about it, as so I it's say. it's probably between, somewhere between the Ministry for the Environment and MB... I and thought NZTA was running it. NZTA, or... NZTA, I think, is running the logistics of actually paying the rebate. So that's their little baby, because they look after motor vehicle registration. The MOT, I think, is the lead a agency as far as the, as the, the actual development of the scheme is concerned. And until yesterday, I hadn't spoken to anybody at MOT. And let's not forget IRD. I presume there's, um, as we said earlier, there's fringe benefit questions about how... There are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what so is the fringe benefit on? tax then on? Is it on the $60,000? So, yeah, well, fringe benefit tax is on the cost of the vehicle. It's based on the cost of the vehicle. Now, the cost of a vehicle is 60000 60, It's not fifty two. Um, so... As far as I know, IRD hasn't... So you're actually paying fringe benefit tax on the rebate? Yes, you will be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, that's exactly what would happen. And we, well, we've heard nothing... Well, that's, that's half the yeah. rebate. Yeah. yeah. It's we've, 50%. Yeah. We've heard nothing from IRD about how they're going to manage the fringe benefit tax issues. So I... So the government gives you a subsidy and taxes half of it away? Well, potentially they could, yeah. Oh, that's not what they had planned, right? I don't know that they have planned this at all, to be honest, Oliver. And I presume your members can't really, there, there are parts of this that they can't work on themselves to solve until they've had all until of these we've details, got, right? Until we've got more answers. So we're potentially talking months. Oh, at least. 
Yeah. And for all that time, EV sales presumably go to about zero. And meanwhile, on the other side, with the bad cars, there's a rush for the door before January. Um, so we'll be importing as many combustion vehicles as um, possible between now and January, I assume. And this is, okay. I'm sorry that I keep laughing. Your members have to be in an incredibly difficult position, but just the lack of thinking through the consequences of what they're, like, I can't help but laugh a bit. And especially when I look back to the Climate Change Commission's final report, where they gave a, a battery of potential market failures that might justify <laughs> government action and stuff, right? And most of them were just made up stuff and didn't actually apply. The most implausible market failure that they listed around EVs was capital market failures. And in their view, the upfront cost of an EV was somehow a market failure preventing people from buying EVs. But the obvious answer to that was that your members are already solving that problem every day by turning a high upfront cost into a monthly fee that can be offset against lower running costs so that you've got a bundle for the consumer, lease payments plus um, electricity costs or lower lease payments plus higher petrol costs, and they can weigh that up. So there was no market failure the Climate Commission, because they don't understand any economics whatsoever, misguided us on that. And now they are creating a market failure because of their stupidity. That's what's going on here, isn't it? I think if you don't laugh about this, you're going to cry, really. <laughs> um, I, yeah. You know, what, it, what I don't think anyone understands is that it is our members that are going to get the electric, electric vehicle into the New Zealand fleet. They're going to be the ones that are bringing them in brand new to put into the fleet leasing um, sector. And when they come out of those leases, they're going to be on sold to consumers as a second-hand, well-maintained electric vehicle. Nobody's thought about that. The other thing I think, too, is, you know... It, it caught everyone completely blindsided. So I had a, an example given to me from a member yesterday about a DHB that they are providing 48 electric vehicles to who now wants to delay receiving those vehicles until <laughs> beyond the 1st of July because they want to receive $8,000 on 48 vehicles from their own government. Now, I got a really dumb question before Oliver jumps in. Ambulances, are those bought by the ambulance companies or do you guys finance they're, them? They're probably leased. They're probably leased. I, I wonder what the bad car tax on an ambulance is going to wind up being because those things have like uh, 280 grams per kilometre of emissions. That's exactly right. Fire <laughs> engines, police cars, you, you, you know, you name it. They're well, all provided by one of our members. The other thought I had was this scheme was first proposed by Julie Angenta, I think around 2018, right? Yeah. So we're now three years later. The government would have had three years to think about how to implement it if it ever comes to it. Yeah. Never mind that they ruled it out before the election, but that doesn't mean much. We've seen exactly the same behavior with the fair pay agreements. Um, it's exactly the same. So fair pay agreements um, proposed in the last term, stopped by Winston Peters, so that's why it didn't happen. Now reintroduced because um, the government has an absolute majority without Winston Peters. And you would kind of think, okay, this has probably been somewhere in a drawer, so you pull it out. Now that Winston's gone, we'll introduce it, and it's ready. And actually, last week we heard in Parliament from the Minister that, no, um, we're now drafting the legislation of something that we wanted to do three years ago. It's a bit like the fee-bait scheme. So you kind of think, well, what are they doing all these years, thinking about these schemes, really eager to introduce them, and when it comes to it, there's nothing prepared. Yet another good question, Oliver. 
which yeah. I can't answer for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but, but does it actually, I mean, you're dealing with regulatory issues on a daily basis, not just with the fee bait. What is your impression of the kind of executive competence and preparation in all of this? <laughs> That is a really good question. That's what I asked. <laughs> trying to, to think of a polite way to answer that. There is a lot of legislation that is happening in our space, and I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that it's happening for other sectors as well, that is not well thought out, it's not well written, it's being done in a hurry, there's insufficient consultation. We are very concerned about that. There's, there's stuff going through at the moment about the conduct of financial institutions where we believe that the bill is incredibly badly written, we believe it's unnecessary, we believe there's a whole lot of other safeguards to, to provide good consumer outcomes from financial institutions. It's not for lack of resources though, because the government has actually taken on several thousand new public servants in the last few years. Okay, most of them were in comms, of course. But, but still, you, you would kind of think that they've got the capacity to actually draft something properly. And you need comms for consultation with industry, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> well, you do. You'd hope. Um, you, you, you have to question where some of these people are actually coming from and how much understanding mm, do they have yeah. about the way things work. There are some very, very good officials out there. But if they can't have the ability to consult properly, if they are being told to do this on the fly... Um, and get it done, then you can't expect good quality legislation. And that's what we're getting. Isn't it ridiculous that, you know, you've got rushed process on of all issues, climate change, which is a long-term problem. We've got a target, our main target's nearly 30 years away. There is time to think through legislation before you announce it on this issue, more than <laughs> any other, right? This is the longest-term issue any government has to deal with. It's an important issue. And this is the one they're probably doing the most um, rushing and haphazard, you know, it's just, my gosh. It must have been like this, oh, we should have Bryson just ask him what it was like living through the last bits of Muldoon. They didn't have EVs back then. Muldoon at least delivered, right? At least, he, you know, stuff got built. <laughs> right, so where to from here? What are you going to do for the next couple of weeks? Panic. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, seriously, I mean, we, we've really got to sort out what the actual issues are and then and then try to come up with solutions. And so we're starting the process of discussion with members. That we've had a lot of concerns already raised, but I think uh, this afternoon's meeting with a group of members is going to raise a hell of a lot that we haven't even thought about yet. Lynn, are officials willing to talk to you? We, They're willing to talk, but I think the officials are a bit hamstrung by this whole process as well, to be fair, because, again, you know... There was no warning about this. It, it was announced on, on Sunday. It's happening as of the 1st of July. That's virtually a, a fortnight's notice. I don't think that the officials, they're, yeah. yeah, they're willing to talk to us, but I don't think they know how to get their heads around this either. And mm. certainly, you know, from, from where we're sitting, the officials have absolutely not thought about how this is going to affect leasing and finance companies, who are the, the, basically, they're the ones that are providing the access to these vehicles. To conclude, I think we all wish you good luck for what you're going to do in the next couple of weeks. We hope you find a good solution for this. And in the meantime, I mean, with this podcast and perhaps with a column, I guess, we might help you raise these issues with the public and actually bring them to the public's attention because it is just extraordinary how little consultation goes into such a flagship scheme like this one. By the way, I'm looking at Eric's face right now. He's not laughing anymore. He's in shock. I think it's fair to say. I feel the same way. It's just appalling. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing this to our attention You're and what welcome. turned Thank out you. to be a podcast. Thank, Thank you for listening. 
and uh, thank you all. And uh, if you've got any ideas on how to solve Lynn's problems, please email us. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>